This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey, thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. I hope you also had a chance to listen to last week's episode number 189 with Rainier Vanderlee of Venduino. He has a great story of a farmer, Rainier, who's solving his own problems on his vineyard and then offering his setup to others to use and improve upon. So this idea of open source hardware and or software. During that interview, he mentioned one of his customers in Mendoza, Argentina, someone who was taking his technology, the Venduino technology, and actually integrating it into creating the world's first open source winery. This means that not only is all of the vineyard data freely available, agronomic, economic, and otherwise, but the wine itself actually is tokenized and freely traded. And not only that, but customers can earn equity in the company by offering their feedback upon drinking a bottle of this wine. This is unlike anything I've ever heard of, and I think it's certainly a fascinating story to look at and wonder what the possibilities might be. It all started with Mike Barrow, who bought some property in Mendoza, Argentina in 2003 to plant his vineyard, which is called Costa Flores. By 2008, he had wine that he was ready to sell. He still was working as an IT contractor, and he found that selling wine was not as easy as he thought. So in 2008, I started traveling in different places with bottles of wine to basically to find buyers, right? And I had a data center project, IT project I was doing, and I ended up moving to to Mumbai for about eight months, living in India. And I thought, okay, this is perfect. I'll you know start exporting wine to India, and also you know doing trade shows in Argentina. I did some in California, in in Europe, in Brazil, visiting you know restaurants and shops and contests and basically all the things that you do to get some brand awareness and sell wine, right? So I'm jumping into this and and basically I keep very quickly realized that three questions kind of come up. One is related to price. You know, you think, okay, the the better my wine is, the more expensive I'm the more money I'm going to be able to fetch for it. And it's like this linear relationship between quality and price. And that's not really how it works. I mean Certainly, you know, if you have a, a mediocre or flawed wine, it's going to be high, hard to get a, a high price for it. But beyond a, a pretty low threshold, the, the, the differences between a $1,000 bottle of wine or a $20,000 bottle of wine and a $2 or a $20 wine is, is not really so much dictated by the quality parameter as it is the story behind it and other kinds of things that you you create around it. So it's 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 quite a unique product in the sense that it's not a commodity. So it's not, you know, you're not selling soybeans or rice or something that it doesn't matter where it comes from. If it's a particular quality characteristic, then it'll have a price. Wine is very elastic in pricing and it has a lot to do with the branding and marketing. And and basically I would go into a shop, restaurant, importer, distributor, whomever and say, you know, here's my wine. My brand is Costa Flores, and my wine is called Mike Tango Bravo. It's an organic blend of 
Malbec, Petit Verdot, and Cabernet Sauvignon. And I'd start to talk to, you know, to people and say, would you like to try it? And, and expecting them to say, oh, yeah, let's have a taste and how much is it? And neither let's have a taste or how much is it was their first questions. But the first question is, I have 25 other labels. Why is somebody going to ask for yours, right? So it's really more about what kind of demand are you creating for the wine rather than the price or quality ratio. So that was the first big question is about price. Mike notes the differences there between standardized commodities like corn, wheat, and soybeans versus more products that can be differentiated like wine, in his case, or chocolate or coffee, maybe. In ultimately creating the world's first open source winery, he certainly found a story to differentiate himself. But it's this next problem, this second problem he's about to describe to you that really starts to get to the heart of this episode. The second thing that became apparent to me was... I'm going around and telling people my story and say, look, I have the small organic vineyard, a single vineyard, which basically means that all the grapes are coming from one location. I'm not buying grapes or I'm not buying wine from other wineries, which is a very common practice. And, you know, basically saying not only is it organic, but, you know, we take a lot of care in doing a low yield, picking only the right grapes, making sure that people that are working here are, you know, above board, well-paid, but, you know, we take care of the, the human aspect and other, other aspects about the production. But the thing is that as I'm telling people this and trying to explain the, the passion that goes behind the winemaking process and, and the grape growing, as I'm telling people this, I'm thinking, well, what winery isn't saying some version of that? And yet we know that there's a lot of mistruths or you know lies about that wineries are making claims especially when you get into the organic realm that just absolutely aren't true and the story that they're telling really doesn't reflect the reality even though it might not be an outright manipulation so i realized that this is one issue that i'm against that i'm telling people a story i'm telling kind of the same story that my neighbors are telling you know a big winery but they're it's not really true or it's, they're, they're misleading what they're saying. So is there a way you can communicate the truth about what you're doing? Is there a way to explore some extreme transparency in getting a message across and saying, not only am I telling you these things, but here's a mechanism that you can validate that everything I'm saying is true. And that's not the case in other types of advertising or claim making, right? So I have the, the price question and the extreme transparency question. Okay, Mike is going to eventually tell us about the third question that led him down this path of creating the first open source winery. But before we launch into that, I really want to pause and emphasize this last point about validating claims. In my opinion, this demand to validate claims is going to be an important part of the future of agriculture. When the data is freely available throughout the supply chain, you will have to show that data to make a claim about your product or to put a label on your products or position them in a certain way. The Consumer is not just going to take marketing's word for it anymore because they know the data is available. Mike here is on the forefront of what is now considered radical transparency, but certainly seems to be a direction, in my opinion, the mainstream is also headed. I decide this 2016 to basically transform my company, Costa Flores, into an open source winery. And so we create the Open Vino Project as a separate entity, basically saying, let's develop software, let's develop hardware designs, 
But most importantly, let's develop processes, procedures, and make this intellectual property available to anybody that can use it anywhere, opening ourselves up to scrutiny, but also to contributions and feedback, both you know positive or potentially negative. So the idea is taking the, the concept behind open source and applying it to the wine world to answer these three questions of price through tokenization, transparency, and traceability. The price through tokenization is pretty much how we're going to spend the whole last half of this episode. And look, I know the format here is a little bit different than normal. I'm kind of butting in. The reason for that is Mike's operation is extremely complex and we really didn't have much time to talk. So I just kind of hit record and had him tell me everything. And I'm trying to go back and edit parts in in a way that's easy to digest. So please forgive the little bit of a difference in format here. But I really think that this is such a fascinating story and I don't want to have it be missed just due to format. Before we get into that tokenization part, all of this open source winery requires a ton of data. So I was really curious about how Mike is looking at the data. What data does he need to collect and how does he need to organize it so that it is actually available and digestible for his customer? So with OpenVINO, what we've done is basically working on four axes of information to try and make as much publicly available as possible. The first is used through sensors. So basically, this is taking low-cost, open-source, inexpensive sensors and putting them first in the vineyard. And that's where we worked with Vinduino and Rainer Vendely to take his design of a you know, low-cost board that's driven by a small solar panel and a long-range radio connection to basically take moisture readings from two meters underground, one meter underground, half a meter, and surface. And so, you know, Mendoza is a desert. It's an oasis. And that anything that you want to grow has to be irrigated one way or another. And so water management and knowing how deep your irrigation or your, you know, is working, how effective it is, is really important. So we take those types of things, environmental data, from Vinduino sensors, from basic weather station sensors, so wind direction, wind speed, amount of sunlight, atmospheric pressure, temperature, all of these types of things, and publish this information. The second area of information is taking a work log. So if we're, whatever we're doing in the vineyard, we're capturing this data just with a, a cell phone application, who's ever doing it, and records today. You know, we're pruning from row 17 to 32 in the Malbec today, whatever it might be, and be able to publish what our work logs is initially in the vineyard and then extending that to the winery and actually the business could be, you know, marketing activities, whatever you're doing. The third piece of information that we're making public is the actual accounting data. You know, how much we're spending on the different elements that go into a bottle of wine, you know, the label, the cork, the shipping salaries and diesel for the tractor, whatever it might be, be able to publish this and also publish the, you know, how much we're selling in different marketplaces, making this sort of a open books available to everyone. And the last element, which we'll be doing later this year or later next year, are just 360 time-lapse images in the vineyard and the winery. So this will be basically an image kind of update. So you could validate some of these other things, right? Now, so we're taking the sensor data, the work log data, the accounting data, and the images and publishing. 
but we first published this information on the blockchain. There it is, the B word. It's been a while since we've talked about blockchain on the show. If you did want to go back to previous episodes where we discussed it, you can go back to our series from episode 81, 89, or episode 110. I think if you use iTunes, they only go back maybe 100 episodes, so you might have to find them elsewhere. But before we go deeper on this episode into blockchain, let's go back to that third question that drove Mike that direction. So I have the, the price question and the extreme transparency question. And then the third question that comes up while I'm learning this process of making and selling wine is, you know, I see cases leaving the winery and I could say, well, that pallet's going to Buenos Aires and this pallet's going to Sao Paulo and these are going to India. But I don't really know at that point what the end consumer, the person that's actually uncorking the bottle what they think about it, right? And I think there must be a way to do a traceability all the way to the end consumer and get some feedback from that person in an honest and legitimate way, right? So basically, we've got a question of price, we have a question of transparency, we have a question of traceability. And those are three elements where blockchain, open source technology, can be very beneficial and useful. And so we have some new disruptive technologies, the blockchain, which is the basis of cryptocurrencies, which have been around for 10 years. And we have the potential use of Internet of Things or sensors and low, very low-cost devices, the ethos of open source. And these are ideas and concepts, open source, IoT, and blockchain, things that I had been using or working with in the IT world. And I said, let's try to map this directly to the wine business. And that's where the Open Vino project comes in. Interesting that Mike is taking three age-old questions of farming and really any business. How do I get the best price for my product? How do I differentiate myself? And how do I build a real relationship based on trust with my customers? But he's answering these questions not in old ways. He's answering them with very new technology, which individually may not get them very far. But together, blockchain, IoT, and sensors are actually an interesting solution to his problems. Mike gives a brief overview in case you're new to blockchain here on, on what it is and one place he hopes it will help him, which is organic certification. The blockchain is a, a shared ledger that's published on decentralized machines around the world. So there's, you know, in the case of Bitcoin, you have some 10,000 nodes or servers that people are operating independently that maintain a copy of transactions. So the best way to, to understand is that imagine you have a shared spreadsheet, kind of like a Google Docs or, you know, Google Sheets or Excel spreadsheet. And we're writing to this spreadsheet but rather that it be owned by one particular company or Google in this case, or a bank or a telco, it's decentralized and it's owned by many, many people that there's no centralized ownership of this. And the reason that this is interesting for what we're doing in the case of collecting data is it's a non-repudiation element, which means that when we write the data to the blockchain, it now becomes a permanent record. It, even we can't go and change something that was written to the blockchain before us. And so, in effect, what we want to do by publishing these four types of data through the blockchain 
is essentially we're notarizing our data, right? So if we're publishing 10,000 data points a day of temperature sensors and moisture sensors and work logs and accounting data, image data, at this point, since this is written to a write-only platform, meaning I can't modify the data afterwards, this allows us to do a self-certification for things like organic certification, for fair trade, for any types of certification levels that we'd want to have for our products and communicate this with the customer. So today, we are certified organic through a third-party certifier, like is the way it's done everywhere in the world, pretty much. And this basically means that once a year or twice a year sometimes, I have an auditor call me up in advance and say, Mike, we want to come next week and do our annual inspection for your organic certification. And they basically come over and ask me, so did you spray any pesticides on the vines this year? And of course I say no. And they say, well, great. Can you show us a work log of what you did and share with us some receipts of products that you have bought that aren't prohibited for organic viticulture, right? And so the authentication process today for organic or for fair trade or for a lot of the certify certifications that we have really depends on the word of the producer. And it's quite easy to cheat if you wanted to. And it's, it's not a very invasive or very exhaustive way of certifying the producer. The fact is that it has to be that way. I mean, the image that people have in their mind is that when deer become an organic producer of grapes, in my case, that means that constantly we're having some surprise inspections and people are taking leaves and dirt samples and, and analyzing these you know, for a thousand different types of molecules. And the fact is that that would be prohibitively expensive. You know, there are so many things that you could spray on a crop that a week later would be almost indetectable anyway. Just think how difficult it is for us to eliminate the problems of illegal doping in, in sports in the Olympics. Well, how can you expect that with the, the, the plethora of different kinds of products that you could be spraying onto a crop that we want to try to reduce or eliminate with the organic certification, how easy it is to get around that? Now, if you take a business model where you're saying, look, I'm completely transparent I'm publishing 100% of what I do every day, both with sensors, with work logs, and with accounting data, then basically you're basing your reputation on the, on the fact that these data points are accurate. So if I were to cheat on any one of those, I'm exposed in so many ways that it would be very risky for me. In other words, any of my employees or any of the people that I do business with could easily call me out if what I'm doing is not the truth. So that's where the extreme transparency element comes in and basically means taking low-cost sensors in one case, having those sensors write directly to a blockchain, and then sharing other types of data like accounting data, work logs, and image data. Mike not only needed the data to be on the blockchain so that certifiers and other stakeholders would trust the information, he also needed customers to trust the data so that they could not only buy wine from him, but buy it from each other. Well, not really wine necessarily, but a wine-backed cryptocurrency. For the pricing elements, as I started out saying, 
you know, we want to determine what is the best price for our product like wine, which has such a elastic component to it, meaning it, it can vary so much. And, you know, wine is also a very unique product in that it gets better over time until it starts getting worse, right? So most products you think of, even something that might be more artisanal like coffee beans, tea, right? Those are products that have an interesting element related to the locale. So there might be a higher price for a certain farm of coffee or certain geography. But the truth about coffee and tea and most almost every other product, olive oil is the same thing, is that as soon as you pick those beans and to roast them, they're not going to get better from that day going forward, right? You might be able to store them and keep them at a certain quality level for a while, but they're never going to get better. Wine, however, does. And it doesn't infinitely get better. It gets better for a while and it peaks and then falls off. And then sometimes it'll have a second life and then it'll start to oxidize and fall off. And it doesn't usually get better after that. And how long that period is depends on a number of factors. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because if you think about that and you think about the fact that wine is very specific, not only to a geography and a place and a, and a method, but it's also specific to a year and a vintage. And so, in other words, in 2018, I harvested grapes, made wine, and that wine is only going to become available in 2021. It needs three years, basically, before it's, it's ready to, to drink. And then it's going to get better and better and become scarcer and scarcer until, at some point, it, it's probably going to fall off and, and not get better after that. And so, given that characteristic, I thought, well... This is a really interesting application for creating our own cryptocurrency, our own version of Bitcoin, basically, and tokenizing our production. So how this works is every year, starting last year, 2018 was our first year. So every year in, in April, we harvest the grapes and we put them in tanks for fermentation. So this is a few weeks. Basically, the vinification process takes a few weeks. At a certain point, though, you know how many liters, how, you know, what is the total volume of wine that's going to be made. And therefore, you can calculate how many bottles are going to come out of that batch. And so last year, we said, okay, our production for this year on this one vineyard is 16,384 bottles. And so on the 6th of May, we do a ICO or an initial coin offering. And this is basically where we issue a new cryptocurrency, and we issued 16,384 coins or tokens or however you want to call it, that basically one token is equivalent to one bottle of wine from that batch, right? So, and those tokens we put up for sale initially at cost pricing, and this allows anybody in the world to buy these tokens, which are equivalent to these bottles of wine, and then they can hold them for three years, and then when the wine becomes available, exchange, you know, starting in three years, they can keep them for up to 10 years. They can send us their tokens, and we send them their bottles of wine. Or at any time, they can trade these tokens on an exchange, and this creates a marketplace, a fluctuation of the pricing over time, understanding that the wine's going to get better, and also there is going to become scarcity as people are consuming this limited batch of bottles over time. Now, I need to pause right here and just give a little bit of a disclaimer. 
I, I don't personally know Mike. I believe everything you're hearing here to be the absolute truth, and I'm more than a little intrigued to buy a token myself from Mike's next ICO with the intention of drinking a bottle of wine someday. Now, that said, there have been cases of these ICOs that have proven to not work out as intended or worse, to be flat out scams. I obviously believe this is legit and a fascinating look at the future of agriculture. But if you're considering putting your money into something like this, you need to first do your own research and due diligence on the potential risks involved. Please don't just take my word or anyone else's. Okay, sorry about that. I, I just felt like it would be irresponsible for me not to say that this isn't a pitch to get you to try to buy Mike's cryptocurrency. That's not the way he's looking at it. That's not the way I'm looking at it. So I didn't want it to come across that way. But this next part is really, really interesting. We go from radical transparency to radical equity to create a closer bond with his consumers. Right. I mentioned that I want to know where the bottles are going and who the end consumer is. That a third element of Open Vino really kicks in in the 6th of May, 2021, which is when the bottles from the 2018 vintage, which is the first tokenized vintage, are available to drink. And so when those bottles are available to drink, basically we'll have on the back label of the bottle an invitation for people to scan the bottle with their smartphone. This will instruct them to install an app on their phone. And with the app, I'm going to ask the, the person that's you know, opening the bottle basically to say, you know, provide their name and address and age and some information about them. I'm going to ask them to take a selfie with the bottle and then ask, answer five or six questions about their experience drinking that particular bottle. And so that's a, it's a, a intense information gathering about the consumer experience. But of course, it's very invasive, right? I'm asking you to take some time and share information about who you are and what you think about that particular bottle that you're drinking. And because I'm asking that, and it is invasive and in asking for, for some of your privacy information, what I'm gonna give you in exchange for that is a different type of token also based on the blockchain but that represents one share of my company. So essentially what we're doing is converting the consumer into a partner, into a shareholder, right? If you provide information and feedback about your drinking experience, then I'll make you a shareholder of the company. For every bottle you drink, you get one share. So the concept is you drink it, you own it. And the liquid that you have in your glass at that point is actually something that you own. You own a small piece, of a winery and a vineyard in Argentina. And so that's kind of how we, we complete the cycle, right? And so now we can be able to point to all of our data from the vineyard, the feedback from customers who are now shareholders, and the fact that the valuation of the vintages are tokenized and market-driven. And so it's using these tools to really establish a new type of business model. I'm so very intrigued by the innovative business model that you're hearing about today, all enabled by new technology. And that's really what this show is all about, agricultural innovation, both on the technology side, but also on the business model side. This particular example just happens to be pretty extreme in a lot of ways, which I think is really cool. But you can hear it in Mike's voice, not just how much he cares about the technology, but how much he cares about the customer experience. 
when you manufacture or produce a wine and you know you decide you're as a consumer you decide to to drink that you've made actually an an astonishing commitment right i've produced something for my land and you're actually putting it into your body and this is not only is it you know you're growing cells with this you're destroying some maybe and you know you're changing your thoughts and and your mood and your opinion by drinking a glass of wine and so you've made uh, the ultimate commitment really with that product and i'm basically saying let's find a way to extend some appreciation to the person that's doing that by saying okay i'll make you a you know a minority minority shareholder because you've gone to that and tell me are you a drinking alone are you at a birthday party what kind of food are you eating with uh, what's the temperature you know whatever it might be some kind of useful information and it's not that i want to market your personal data after that i just want to know what people actually think the people that are are drinking the wine and how can i share that information with the rest of the world I, for one, will definitely be following along with Mike's progress to see where this all goes. It's such a fascinating look at how one can leverage different technologies to solve age-old problems and keep it completely open source. I encourage you to check out Mike's website, first of all, for his winery, Costa Flores. Go to costaflores.com, C-O-S-T-A-F-L-O-R-E-S. Dot com and go to the Open Vino Project, which is his model for the open source winery. Just openvino.org, O-P-E-N-V-I-N-O.org. Check that out. Hey, thanks so much to all of you who have spread the word to others about the show. Really, that's the single best thing you could do for the show is just tell someone else you know who might enjoy about it. There was a thread on a popular Facebook group called My Job Depends on Ag, and several of you were on there advocating for this show. Really appreciate you, Tino, Michael, Pierce, Rachel. Andrew, Jason, Katie, and Dan. If others of you added on to that later, I apologize I didn't get you in on time for this episode, but I really do appreciate any time you share this show with others. We'll be back next week with another fascinating ag innovator. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week.